the, the general subject is the living of the sons of God for the body of Christ as revealed in Romans 8. It is not an exaggeration to say that Romans 8 is the most profound chapter in the New Testament. It is deep and profound in Revelation, but its significance is not mainly in its revelation, but in the experience that it presents, the experience of the dispensing of the triune God, the experience of Christ being our life, the experience of being conformed to the image of the firstborn Son of God, the experience of walking according to the mingled spirit, the experience of resurrection life, conquering death in our being and in our circumstances. On and on it goes. And in this chapter, we see that the spirit witnesses along with our regenerated spirit that we are children of God. But God's goal, as indicated in the book of Ephesians and in Galatians, is not to have a lot of children. His goal is to have sons. And in the Bible, expressions like brothers and sons include male and female believers. And expressions like bride and wife regarding the church include female and male believers. So in case you're under any influence otherwise, these are inclusive terms. We all are children of God. We will all be the wife of Christ eventually. So sons includes all believers. So our God wants us to advance in the divine life, to mature, to be full-grown sons. In reality, it is only believers who are living as sons of God who are also living as members of the body of Christ. So we want to consider the living of the sons of God not for the spirituality of the believers, not even for the reward of the believers, not simply for the peace and joy of the believers, but for the desire of the Lord's heart to have 
actually have a built-up church as his organic body through whom he can carry out whatever he wills. I need to point out a rather sad fact and why the Lord needs a recovery. Truly, only God knows how many genuine, redeemed, regenerated believers there are on the earth. Tens of millions. And we recognize all of them as our brothers and sisters in Christ, whoever they are, wherever they are. For someone to be a genuine believer means not only that his or her sins are forgiven, it means that the believers have received another life. A life distinct from their created human life. A life that the Bible calls eternal life. The divine life. The uncreated, indestructible life of God. Every believer right now has in the regenerated spirit this life. But here's the sad fact. The vast majority do not know this. They don't realize this. Untold numbers have been misled by the teaching that the eternal life mentioned in John 3.16 means everlasting bliss in heaven. When the Lord said... I am the resurrection and the life. He wasn't saying, I am eternal bliss. He was saying, I myself am the eternal life of God, embodied and expressed and made available for you. Because God's eternal purpose is fulfilled, only through those believers who experience and live out eternal life. And since the vast majority of believers do not know the wonderful fact that they have this life, the Lord must have a recovery. A recovery of those who are willing to pay the price through grace to carry out what God intended from the beginning. And from the beginning, God created us in His image with the commission to represent Him with His authority. And then He revealed by portraying the tree of life 
that we can express God and represent Him only by the life of God itself. All of this is common knowledge to most of us. But here's our situation. To some extent, we know that we have eternal life. We have a proper understanding of regeneration. That is receiving another life, the divine life, in addition to the human life. But the subject, the general subject, is not having, but living, but living. What Paul eventually realized after he had become a believer, and what he testified in a verse we all know, Galatians 2.20, what he learned and what he testified is that the Lord did not want Paul to live any longer. Meaning, he did not want Paul to continue living by the natural created human life. Rather, he wanted Paul to actually live in humanity by the divine life in his spirit. Put another way, Paul had become a son of God. In relation to God the Creator, he was still a creature. But in relation to God the Father, he was a son. As a creature, a human being created by God, he had the created human life. As a son of God regenerated by God the Father, he had the divine life. And this is what happened to Paul. He actually learned to live by the divine life. He actually did it. And it's important that I emphasize that Paul did this. And not only that, our Lord Jesus did it. God knows how we think. If we only had the Lord Jesus as the first God-man, and then we had the command, you need to live the same way the Lord lived, that is, by the divine life, we might think like this. Okay. The Lord had two advantages over us. The first is, 
He is God. And the second is, He was without sin. So surely, if you are God and have no sin in you, you can live by the divine life. But alas, we are not God and we are a flesh of sin. Okay, God is very wise. So in addition to setting forth the Lord Jesus as the prototype, the Lord produced a pattern. In 1 Timothy 1.16, Paul said that he received mercy to be made a pattern to all those who would believe. And God chose someone who wanted to murder the saints. Now, we've all had our failures. But when was the last time you were breathing out murder against anybody? That's Saul of Tarsus in Acts. He actually thought he was serving God by killing believers. By agreeing with their death. Not only with Stephen. He voted for the death penalty again and again in the council. He barged into home meetings and dragged off not only brothers but sisters. So he called himself the greatest sinner. And what sin could be greater than seeking to destroy that which Christ purchased at the cost of his own precious blood. So God took a great sinner, in Paul's words, the worst, had mercy on him, bestowed grace on him, and then presented him as a redeemed and forgiven sinner who learned to live by another life. And in so doing, God once again sweeps away our reasoning. Well, Saul of Tarsus wasn't God in the Godhead. Saul of Tarsus received light to know the depths of his depravity and sin. He devastated the church of God. And God shows him. And I'm not interested tonight in the greatness of his apostleship. But in the preciousness of his being a pattern. Then can any of us say. Before the face of God. I'm too difficult to case. I'm too complicated. My background is too dark. Please have me be excused. Paul was not only a pattern. 
he made a series of spiritual discoveries. He realized that Christ was his life. That Christ was his constituent. He learned that Christ was the reality of every positive thing in the universe. He knew that the Lord was with his spirit. He learned that he was whatever he was by the grace of God. He learned what it was to be strengthened with power through the divine spirit into his inner man so that Christ could make his home in his heart. He learned to let Christ live in him. He learned to live Christ, to magnify Christ, to minister Christ. And the record he left in his epistles, especially in Romans chapter 8, opens up the center of the spiritual universe for us to explore. To see we're not just creatures, God is not only our creator. God is, truly is our Father. We have the same life that God the Father had. We not only have a created human nature, we are partakers of the divine nature. We have the entire processed and consummated triune God as the Spirit dwelling in us. And now the Lord in us and the Lord in the heavens praying for us has a longing concerning us. And He may express this longing in various ways. Sometimes through other believers. I won't make too much reference, but I can make this reference. There's something my wife told me a few decades ago in desperation. She said, Ron, why won't you let Christ live in you? What a word. It wasn't a rebuke. It wasn't an anger. How can a man forget such an utterance? How could the indwelling spirit allow me to forget? My brothers and sisters, it's time for all of us to be brought to the point where we will let Christ live in us. We all have eternal life. But we may not experience the eternal life we have. If you want to experience 
the divine eternal life that is with your spirit right now, two things need to happen. And the second that I'll mention is primary. The first is you need to open to receive the Lord's gentle but continuous divine dispensing. Just come to Him just as you are based upon the redeeming blood of Christ. You come to Him. You have the right to come to Him through redemption just as you are without pretense. And just say, Lord, I need you. I open to you to receive your dispensing. But the crucial matter is in this little word, let. Colossians 3.15 Let the peace of Christ arbitrate in your heart. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That word let is directed at our will in its function. I am responsible to either share with you initially or to remind you that we ourselves determine how much the Lord will gain us and grow in us. To draw upon that verse from Revelation 3, the Lord said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. Okay. You are the one who opens the door from the inside. You are the one who determines how much you will let Christ make his home in your heart. How much you will let him grow in you. How much you will allow him to expand in you. And how much you will let him live in you. In order to experience the divine life that is with our spirit, we need to let the triune God actually live in us. In heaven we all come to some realization that in situation after situation, the way he lives is different from the way we live. Not only we do bad things and he does good things, we do good things and he does God things. So we want to make a little progress. This is my prayer and this is my hope that we just advance a little bit 
You're not looking for a miracle, nothing instant. Life isn't like that. But we would all leave here in less than 48 hours with the sense it was worthwhile coming here. The Lord took a step in us. And we're encouraged. Now the living of the sons of God is for God's goal. That is for the body of Christ. I, I realize that the divine light can be unsparing. But I also realize that the divine love always accompanies the divine light. I mention this because I need to point out something. And my dear brothers and sisters, it's better to see it now than to see it when we meet the Lord. As fallen human beings with a poisoned human life, we are selfish persons. And it's very easy for the self and persons and matters and things related to the self to become our center. And this carries over into the Christian life. Even much of Christianity as a religion, as it's been formed, appeals to this. You will have a wonderful, splendid dwelling place. Some even teach your pets will have eternal life. I don't know what I would do if all the quails, birds, cats, dogs, fish, my wife had, are going to be there for eternity. There has to be a recovery of those whose love for the Lord eventually brings them out of themselves. And they're not pursuing the Lord for their own benefit. Yes, we want to grow in life. I want to be an overcomer. So do you. I want to be in the kingdom. So do you. But we have to get beyond that. By the Lord's love flowing in us. And tell the Lord. I want to experience you. I want to enjoy you. I want to live you. For the desire of your heart. So that you may have the fulfillment of your own prophecy. When you said, I will build my church. Then your prayer begins to be enlarged and you pray like this. Lord, supply me in this situation. 
that I may experience you for the body. Lord, please grace me in this circumstance, not just to meet my need, but to overflow into the lives of so many saints. The sons of God live for the body of Christ. Every member in your physical body is functioning for the whole body. My my feet are still as flat as they were, if not flatter, than when I came from my mother's womb. But they are still functioning as flat as they are to hold up this not young body to give a word to the Lord's saints. It is a great jubilee inwardly when we are saved from sneaking spiritual things for ourselves and we seek them for the Lord and for His body. And Romans 8 is a particular revelation of this kind of living. Now the title of message 1, we're speeding along here, we've gone from the general subject to the title of the first message. The living of the sons of God for the body of Christ according to the focus of Romans 8. I wish someone could write an email or a text to the Pope, to Billy Graham, to the officers of the Evangelical Theological Society, to all the famous preachers and Bible teachers, and ask for a one-sentence answer to this question. What is the focus of Romans chapter 8. Here's what would happen. Those who know will answer in one sentence. Those who don't know will write a 500-word essay. I would like to save them a little time and say, if you want to know the focal point, the center of Romans 8, read some of the writings on Romans by a man from Chifu, China. Because the Lord happened to go there when he had no way to get through here to have a recovery. Now let's go through the outline. And the first point is on the will of God. As many of you know, 
I serve with a journal called Affirmation and Critique. Still around after 20 years. Would you believe it? And we did one issue on the will of God. So I began to do a search just on Amazon. On books on the will of God. There were literally one or two hundred of them that were coming up. You can tell two things about these books. Number one, it was not the will of God that the book be written. And the book could not tell you what the will of God was. You want to know why? Because with hardly any exceptions, they were all about Knowing God's will for your life. For you. You're the focus. You're the center. It's all about you. I looked long and hard for a book about the will of God for God. One day in a class in the full-time training in Anaheim, I asked the trainees to give me the one verse in the whole New Testament that tells us why everything exists. And we really had a, quite a good time. It took them about 20 minutes. Finally, one brother came up with Revelation 4.11. You have created all things and because of your will they were and were created. God's will is the reason everything exists positively. God's will is the source. Surely when God was formulating his will, he had no intention of making any one of us the center of it. Although he wanted to include all of us in it. What is the will of God? Revelation 4.11 The will of God is the source. What is it? If you can sell verses like in the reference to Ephesians 1, 5 and 9 and Romans 12, we will see that the will of God is to obtain a body for Christ to be His fullness, His expression. Since this is the case, Anything and everything that is not related to God's will to obtain the body is merely something God allows to happen.
My wife and I had decided a few years ago on how we would handle the matter if she would go to the Lord ahead of me. And her feeling and my feeling and the Lord's feeling was there would be a very simple gathering at the graveside. Not long. And to honor the Lord and to honor her, that's what we did. And when it was my turn to share something about her being someone whose life was hidden with Christ in God, I emphasize one point. Our entire relationship was founded on the perfect will of God concerning his purpose. And toward the very end of her life, when we couldn't converse very long, as I was caring for her, I looked at her and I said, Dear, you are the perfect will of God for me. And she looked back at me and said, vice versa. This doesn't mean that God's will was focused on our relationship. It means God brought us together so that together we could live for His will to have the church as the body of Christ. I don't know any other way to live in the Lord's recovery. Any other way is inconceivable. To be here and live for a career or live for this and that, I don't understand it. We have all kinds of human needs. Our families do. We take care of them. But didn't our Lord say something about seeking first? Isn't there something that is first? Is this being passed on to another generation? Will this be our legacy? We are here in the church life to live for and carry out God's will to have the body for Christ. That's Romans 12. Prove what the will of God is, which is perfect. Then he goes on to say, one body, many members, one body. As the believers grow in the divine life from children to sons, they begin to discover why they exist. What they breathe for. What they're here for. And then more and more it's worked into us. 
I was created. I was redeemed. I was regenerated. I was brought into the church life. I have been preserved in the Lord's recovery because God has a will. And my decision is, may His will and my will be one harmonious will. Now we can read the subpoints. According to Romans 12, the will of God is for us mutually to be members one of another, coordinating to be the body of Christ and living the body life. To live the body life is to prove what the will of God is. Paul used that expression, didn't he? This is why you need to be renewed in your mind and present your body a living sacrifice so that you may prove, demonstrate, manifest, testify what the will of God is. B says if we live as members of the body, acting and functioning in the church life, we will be persons in the will of God. So when the will of God was made known March 2nd, 1963, that I would be with this woman, our journey in the will of God began. When God made his will known, that her journey was completed in victory, and mine must continue for a while, we have nothing to say but amen. This is what we're here for. We're not here to do what God allows us to do. We are here to do what God intends for us to do. And that is to contribute to the actual building up of the church as the body of Christ. See, the focal point of the book of Romans is the body of Christ. It's not justification by faith, dear Calvinists. Sorry, you've got an abbreviated book of Romans of only four and a half chapters. And it's not the inner life, dear Keswick people. It doesn't stop with chapter six or eight. The goal is the body of Christ expressed as local churches. That's the goal. If we neglect the body of Christ, we do not have the proper goal, aim, and direction in our Christian life. So, the little word to young adults and younger, 
What is the direction of your life inwardly? I know you need a practical direction regarding your education, regarding your occupation or profession. I know that. Is there anything at the core that you can tell the Lord and the devil and the demons and all persons the direction of my life is God's goal to build up the body of Christ. And I have consecrated my life, my being, my possessions, especially my future, to the Lord. So that everything I experience, everything that happens to me, all my relationships, all my activities are aimed at that goal. That's the direction. We're not aimless. And we're not serving two masters. I began to visit Taipei from time to time, or Taiwan from time to time in 1968. And I was touched again and again and again by so many of the brothers and sisters there that were highly educated, that excelled in their profession, but were uncompromisingly living for the goal of God's economy. In 1977, some of us were guests for dinner at the home of a brother who was the director of the Taiwanese version of the FBI. And he considered very much in the Lord about taking that responsible position. And he did it. And he excelled in it. But it wasn't his goal. There are brothers, also from Taiwan. Now they're full-time co-workers. But when they were professors, when they were physicians, they were already full-time inwardly. When they retired, they did not become different from what they already were. And Daniel was like this. Daniel was probably junior high age when he was separated from everything he knew. Never left Babylon alive. That was his destiny. And he and his companions surpassed all the Babylonian students. And Daniel had a very high position in government service so that when the kingdom was transferred to the Medo-Persians. He was retained by the king at the highest level of what we would call civil service. That's how he spent most of his time. 
But when some tried to do away with him, because they knew he would keep praying even when the law said he can't do it for 30 days. Remember what the king said? He said two things about him. First, he called him Daniel, servant of the living God. And then he said, Daniel, the God whom you serve continually, he will preserve you. That's what I mean. He had, a, he had a profession. I don't think he had a career. He excelled at what he did. Otherwise, he couldn't have borne a testimony. But the king knew. Even his enemies knew. You are really serving the God of heaven and earth. This is what we're talking about. Not that we are in any way unusual or peculiar or abnormal. Every once in a while I get these unrequested advertisements for anti-aging, this and that. Take this anti-aging. I like to tell them, I don't want anti-aging. I don't want immortality in this body. I like to just be a normal person getting older and finishing his course. We don't want to be special. But inwardly, intrinsically, we are a different species of being. We have the proper goal, aim, and direction in our Christian life. Consecration is for the body of Christ. The purpose of consecration is for us to realize the body of Christ and live the body life. Romans 12 speaks of the body from the angle of the organic union, from a life that unites us with Christ and with all the other members of Christ. The mystical body of Christ is formed by Christ as life in each of us, mingled with us. The Bible and our experience prove that though each one of us is a member of the body of Christ, yet the life in each one of us is not a member life, but a body life. This life is Christ himself in us. I've been in the Lord's recovery not nearly as long as some, but it's almost 50 years. And I can testify that the body has never been more real to me than in the past several months. The supply of the spirit of life in the body is inexhaustible. The measure of the grace that flows through the prayers and the fellowship of the members is immeasurable. We don't face things as heroes. We're not heroes. We're members of the body of Christ. And the body of Christ is an organism constituted with the resurrection 
life of Christ, nothing can defeat resurrection life. Nothing can defeat the body of Christ. And nothing can defeat us. What a wonderful reality. It's another universe. It's another realm. And it's so good just to be one of the members. Living in mutuality, that means we supply one another, we bear one another, we fight for one another, we love one another, we serve one another, we build up one another in mutuality. If we are still living according to the flesh in ourselves and according to our natural constitution, the life of the body has no way of being manifested and there is no way for us to know the body. So now we come to another matter that will lead us to the second section. We'll be done, I believe, by or before nine to allow plenty of time for your sharing. It's not hard to grasp the concept of the body. It's not that difficult to read and study the ministry material on the body and to have a doctrine of the body. Actually, we all begin here. It's not wrong. We all begin here. But it's sort of like, I think recently the Pope issued some definitive statement about marriage. I'd like to know, how can an unmarried Pope Tell me anything about married life. You're not married yourself. That you make these statements. So we need to go on from the doctrine of the body to a vision. Where now something is televised into our being. We see something in our spirit. Then from there, we must go on to actually knowing the body and living in the body. You know what has been the basic factor of all the problems, all the major problems in our history in the Lord's recovery? Whether they clearly diagnosed them put his diagnosis in print. He said all problems are caused by not knowing the body, not caring for the body, and not honoring the body. All the problems in the history in this part of North America have that as the source. And the solution will be the opposite. Those who know the life of the body, who honor the body, who live in the body, 
who care for the body, who treasure the fellowship of the body, who serve for the building up of the body, that will be the countermeasure. And when I came to be with the brothers for an evening buffet last night, I just enjoyed being with fellow members of the body. I don't know most of you. I don't need to know you outwardly. I just treasure being with you and enjoying this mutual fellowship. But see, if we are still in ourselves, we're not in the body. If we live by our natural constitution, we're not living by the life of the body. So here's the touching point. So, mothers, get ready either to be gently touched or get ready to set up your armor to protect yourself. Either way. We, the more or less experienced husbands and dads, have learned something. Yes, you love your husband, but you love your children more. That's okay. It's okay. That's just the way it is. And a husband should learn not to be jealous and not to be small. There is a depth of feeling the mother has for her own children. She can't have for you. The child is formed within her, came out from within her. That's just the way it is. But not that many sisters have learned to not love their children by natural human affection, but by the love of God in resurrection. So, when anything touches your children, woe does something rise up from within you. Because that natural affection is there, your the divine love in you is limited in its expression. And the same principle applies to dads, to fathers. But I testify in behalf of a brother who's with the Lord, our brother Dave Hagan. He had four daughters, and dads really have deep feelings for their daughters. That's why it's hard for them not to cry on their daughter's wedding day. So sometimes I try to counsel the dads in advance, don't be ashamed of some tears. But he learned to love in resurrection. And he could testify. He loved all the trainees in the full-time training in Anaheim as if they were his own sons and daughters. Because his love was unlimited by natural affection. 
when the cross can touch that element of our natural constitution, and we have the divine love and resurrection for our own children, we can love all the children of the saints the same. We love all the saints with the same love. There's no partiality. And those who have been marginalized, who knows what it means to be treated as if they're second rate. They grew up in such a society, but when they touch this kind of love, they realize there's no partiality here. There's no preference. There's no bias. This is the life of the body that is manifested when we learn not to live by the flesh, not to live in ourselves, and not to live in our natural constitution. Are you willing to let the Lord live in you to this extent? I do know some older, middle-aged and older sisters. The Lord shepherded them through. And now younger sisters know they have a need for fellowship. They know there are real mothers in the church that have an unbiased and unpreferential love for all the members. This is just one illustration. Now the second point is the focus. The focus, the central teaching of Romans 8 and of the entire Bible is that the triune God desires to live in his redeemed and regenerated people so that they may live him. I really appreciate the Lord's humility and his condescension in the way he saved me. Nothing dramatic happened. When I stood up to give a testimony, that's when he came in. But I didn't realize it too. a few weeks later. I said to myself, there's another person living in me. I had no one to help me. I knew it was the Lord. I didn't know where he was. I didn't know how he could be there. And for 11 years, he was just there. Actually imprisoned in my spirit. I didn't mean to be a jailer. He was just there in my spirit while I went on living my natural human life. Then by the Lord's mercy, I came into the Lord's recovery and the light began to dawn. But still it took some time. Until that day, my wife in desperation said to me, Ron, why won't you let the Lord live in you? And not long afterwards, there began to be a turn. Let him live. Let him live. He has thoughts. He has desires. He has tastes. 
He has a will. He has a way. He has an intention. Let him live. The body is a corporate organism that allows Christ to live and move without any kind of hindrance. The triune God, after passing through his processes and accomplishing everything necessary for the fulfillment of his eternal purpose, became the Spirit in order to enter into man and live in man so that he may live him. So actually, it is the Spirit. It is Christ as the Spirit who wants to live in us. We need to let the Spirit live in us. Let the Spirit flow in us. We need to be willing to give way for the Spirit to flow. This is an example that applies to almost all of us. We're in a conference. It's now the time for the brothers and sisters to share. And you're sitting in about the seventh row. You have the feeling to speak the sense to speak, and you don't. We've all been like this, almost all of us. Maybe only the real, bold, daring ones. They're not held back by anything, but they're the one half of one percent of us. That's just an example of something in us wouldn't let the Lord flow. Well, let's say you're sitting there. You have a body. You're in your body. And none of the members of your body will respond to your direction. Then it's as if, practically speaking, you don't have a body. Even your body is a prison to you. You want to stand up? Your legs, your feet, your ankles won't respond. You want to raise your hand, your arm doesn't move. You want to say something, your mouth, your tongue do not respond. We need to realize this is what the Lord has been facing for 2,000 years. He raised up a body in his resurrection. The body exists as a reality in the sight of God. But the reality is yet to be manifested when the members will allow the Lord as the Spirit to flow in them. To flow in them. One under A, the Spirit is the ultimate consummation of the process triune God. As such a Spirit, the triune God lives in us and we live Him. When we live the triune God as the Spirit, he becomes everything to us. Every virtue is the issue of the indwelling God. We have that song in the supplement. It's been around for a few decades. I love the melody. 
and ends. He's everything to us. Okay, we should sing it that way in faith. But if we sang it according to actuality, we might sing, He's certain things to me. He's a few things to me sometimes. But this point says, when we live the Spirit, He becomes everything to us. Allow me to share something with you up to date. My life with the Lord has become very simple now. And my prayer is becoming very simple. I just tell the Lord, whatever you want, whatever you will, I say amen. And now I'm learning what he wills is just what that wife of mine expressed. Let me live. Let me be the person. Let me be your life. Let me live. And I'm learning. I'm emphasizing. I'm underlining. I'm italicizing. I'm putting in bold letters. Learning. When I let him live, he's whatever I need spontaneously. I don't have to tell him what he already knows. I don't have to analyze my situation. I don't understand my own life. You understand your own life? Proverbs twenty twenty four. A man's steps are ordained by the Lord. How then can a man understand his own way? But when we let him live, this is the all-inclusive, life-giving spirit flowing in us. That spirit is all-inclusive. Everything is there, and it's inexhaustible. I received such touching, cherishing, and comfort through a brother's email sent yesterday and again today in case the email address wasn't accurate. And he ended by saying that his supply is bountiful. I say amen. I say amen. This is our testimony. But he's bountiful in our experience when we let him live. When we live, okay, B, the Christian life and the church life are not a matter of whether we are right or wrong, but of whether we are living ourselves or living God. I get a lot of emails, like many others. <clears throat> I don't read with a critical spirit, but I do read with discernment. And some emails float out of God, and other emails float out of the self. It's so clear. I'm not free to tell the, the writer. May I point out, 
your brother that you were in yourself and your email is full of death. I can't say that. It's too bad. So he stays in darkness. Anytime another member of the body touches the Christ in you, life is ministered to them. Anytime they touch you, they get death. This is not a matter of right or wrong. It's a matter of are we living ourselves? Or are we living the triune God? Then how do we know? Then we need to be enlightened like Job had to be on what is ourself. See, we need to live the triune God by allowing Him to indwell us make his home in us and take full possession of our being and by walking according to the Spirit. Okay, allowing. Allowing him to make his home in your heart. Allowing him to take full possession of our being. So we need to have honest conversations with the Lord. And sister, if you're young, and you're kind of afraid of a point like this, tell the Lord that. Right now, I'm afraid to open fully to you. The Lord's not surprised. He's not disappointed. But you say, I can open a little bit, and his response is, a little bit is a good start. Then you realize how sweet it is when you let him live in you, then more love flows into you and you say, Lord, I'd like to open more to you. Then he may say, opening more is good. Then I can do more. Then eventually, you'll drop all the defense and present yourself to the Lord as an open vessel. You say, Lord, just make your home in my heart for the church as the body of Christ. Our spirit is indwelt by and mingled with the Spirit, who is the consummation of the process triune God. Since we have such a wonderful mingled spirit within us, our unique need is to walk according to this spirit. God wants a people who live Christ in a practical way by walking according to the Spirit. Have you ever been writing a text and you're sort of toward the end and you have a feeling not to press send? And then you consider a little, then instead of pressing send, you backspace, right? And then... You feel good about the little that remains. Then you can send it in peace. That's texting according to the Spirit. Right? I don't do Facebook and tweet. From a, I have my, my own reasons. 
for, for protection in that. But if you're going to tweet, then tweet according to the mingled spirit. If you're going to make friends on Facebook, then do Facebook according to the mingled spirit. There's no way this thing is just going to proliferate. Who knows what will be the technology five, ten years from now. But with us, the governing principle is the same. Whether you should do this or that, I don't know. But just walk according to the Spirit. Text by the triune God living in you. Email by the flowing Spirit. Okay? To walk according to the Spirit is to do everything in our daily life according to the Spirit. Have you ever had an experience like this? You're driving along, fairly heavy traffic, and you are in the Spirit, and you are enjoying the Lord. You might even sing Him. Then someone cuts in front of you, and you're not enjoying the Lord anymore. Okay, so I'm the same as you. I'm in, I'm out. I'm in, I'm out. In, out. The sense of life lets us know where we are. So someone cuts in front. The righteous old man says, too bad. You asked for it. I'm tailgating you now. Too bad. You're going to learn a lesson. But the triune God says, just tap your brake, give him room, let him go, keep enjoying me. Our daily life is just filled with things like this. You ever been in an express line? Fifteen items. And there's someone in front of you who's got more than 15 items. You know because you counted them. You counted them and you're unhappy that they're there. And you want to say something to the checker. Like, I just wish the store would enforce the regulation. But that's your righteous old man. When you're in the mingled spirit, you'll let it go. Well, once I was in the line, I had exact exactly 15 items, and the man behind me was counting the items in my basket. And I felt like saying, you got a problem with me? You think I cheat? I'll tell you, this battle between right and wrong and being in the spirit or not, this goes on and on and on, but we're learning to walk according to the spirit. So let's admit None of us is exactly rapture ready tonight. But we can all have a learning spirit, can't we? And we just learn together and encourage one another. All that we need to do is to live the triune God by walking according to the Spirit. Everything else will be a spontaneous issue of our living the triune God, everything else. The love will be there. The forbearance will be there. The kindness will be there. 
the humility will be there. The courage will be there. The boldness will be there. The faith will be there. The genuineness will be there. It's all there in the mingled spirit. So let's learn to live as sons of God for the body of Christ as revealed in Romans 8.